sign up for things. We have things in there to, for you can put your birthdays and that kind of stuff. But we also, the registration for the marriage conference is in there. If you want to know where our podcasts are, that's on there. And so um, Zach has done a really good job with uh, creating that link tree. So without Zach, we would still be in the 18th century. Um, we would. We would. I mean, that's, that's just the, the truth of the matter. Zach has allowed us to know how to do Instagram, whatever that is. I'm not sure what that is, some newfangled technology. Um, but no, Zach has done a great job. I just want to brag on you, uh, the, the, the graphics and things he has done. So um, if you got a bulletin, you can open up to the middle. We are in Colossians still. And... Uh, Colossians chapter 1, and we are not going to finish Colossians chapter 1 today. Surprise, right? Um, so, so far, if you've been here with us, uh, what we've looked at in chapter 1 is Paul wrote this letter to this church in Colossae that he had never been to before, but he heard that they were... There were Christians there, and he was excited about there being Christians in this city, this church in this city, and he wanted to write a letter to encourage them. And he wanted them, first of all, to know that he was praying for them. That's what we first read. He says, I pray for you. Every time I think of you, I pray for you. And he said, I pray specifically that you would be filled with the knowledge of, of God's will, that you'd be filled with the knowledge. This is what, when I go before God on your behalf, I go asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And what that, we say what that means is that you would know the principles of God. You would know what God has said, the, the do's and the don'ts and that kind of things, the principles, how things work, that you would know how things work in the kingdom and that you would know the purposes of God. Why is God doing it? It's very important to know the purpose behind it. Without purpose, people give up. We'll talk about that next week, most likely. But uh, I remember in, um, in, uh, hearing about in World War II, the, the Nazis would have these men, these Jewish men who were strong and amazing, and, uh, they, but they were in concentration camps. He would have them dig a hole, and it had to be certain dimensions. It was a deep hole. And he would have them take all the dirt from that hole and put it on the other side of the camp. And uh, the next day, he would have the, the Nazis would have the Jewish men to take all that dirt that they had put in the hole and put it back, uh, put it back in the hole and fill up the hole and go and dig and go the other side and dig up another hole and take the dirt to the other side. And so day by day, all they were doing is digging holes and and moving dirt for no reason, and they gave up hope. They lost hope. Because they had no purpose. They knew there was no purpose to their work. If there's purpose to what you do, you have hope. I know this is happening for reasons. Same way with following God. There's, there's a reason God has told you. There's a purpose behind what you're doing. God has not just given us a bunch of rules without a reason for the, for the rules. He's not giving us principles, I guess, would be better. Principles to live by. You don't just love your neighbor as uh, yourself. You don't just love every uh, love each other as Jesus loved you for no reason. There's a reason behind it, and we need to know that. And so Paul says, "I pray that you'd be able to figure out not only what you're supposed to do, but why you're supposed to do it, because there's hope in it." Then we we came into where um, he said, "I want you to uh, to be able to know what God wants from you." That was the first part. 
that you would know, be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. And the second part was so that, so that you could live a life, uh, live life in a manner worthy of Jesus. That, that was the thing. So that you can, I want you to know the principles and the purpose of God so that you will live a life worthy of Jesus is what he said. And then the last two weeks we've been looking at why Jesus is worthy of living for. He's worthy of living for. We looked at all the things about who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn of those who rose from the dead. All these reasons that make Jesus worthy of, of, of living your life for. And then last week we talked about how, the, how he is wonderful. It's not, he's not just worthy because of who he is, but it's a joy to serve him because of what he's done, what he's done for us. And, um, okay. and, so, and so now, Paul... Today we're going to see where Paul um, talks about because Jesus is worthy and wonderful, he's worthy of your life, okay? He's also worthy of your trust. Paul has laid these things out to show that he's worthy of your life. He's worthy of you living a life manner in such a manner worthy of him, okay? And he's also worthy of your trust, and that's going to be huge today, all right? So that's where we're going today. We're only going to read a few verses, but in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. All right, so we're going to be talking about those verses today. Paul is writing this letter. Paul is saying these things to people who are already what we would call saved. Okay? People who are saved. People who are already Christians. People who are not Christians cannot have these things said about them. They're still in that shape. When he says, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled, right? So these are talking about people that's already been reconciled. These are people who have what I'm going to call saving faith. They have saving faith. These are people who are saved. We know that because he starts the letter out with, I'm writing these things to you who have put your faith in Jesus. I'm excited. I've heard you put your faith in Jesus. You're loving the saints. And so these are, he's talking to Christians. So if you're in here and you're a Christian, he's talking to you. If you're not a Christian, you have not yet been reconciled to God, but Jesus has made it possible for that to happen. He has taken away every hindrance so that you can be. But again, this is for, this verse is, this passage is applicable. It, it is, it is, if you're a Christian, this is true in your life. You have been already, you once were alienated, you once were hostile in mind, you once were doing evil deeds, but he has reconciled you already. He has already remedied your separation from God. You remember what it was like to be alienated from God, separated from God. I, he has remedied that separation. He has reconciled us, all right? <clears throat> he has remedied our sinful thinking. 
That's what it says. You who were once, that means past tense, right? You who were once separated from God. You who were once hostile to God in your mind, in your way of thinking. You once had sinful thinking, but now it's different. You were once, you once were doing evil deeds. In other words, you once had sinful behavior. But now Christ, through his death, has reconciled you. To, and if it says you were once that way, that means you're not that way anymore, does it not? Okay. So here's, hopefully, if you're following what you're thinking right now. I still feel separated from God sometimes. I still have sinful thoughts sometimes. I still have sinful behavior sometimes. Okay? So if that's you, and most likely that is you, I have hope for you today. And hope for me today. But I want you to see what, what, what the scripture says is that has already been remedied. It's past tense. Read it again. You who were once at one time in the past alienated, separated from God, hostile in your mind and your thinking, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled already. He's already reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. God has remedied all three of those things in you. Your separation, your thinking, and your behavior has been remedied by Christ. In fact, in, if you go over to chapter 2, we see in verse 13 of Colossians, we'll re read this again in probably a year and a half, but when we get to chapter 2, uh, but it says he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. No, that's not it. That's, that's, go to, I'm sorry, go to, go to, do I put chapter 2 verse um, 13 in there? In the, it's in the bulletin but not in easy worship? Okay, I'll pause. So read it in your bulletin and if you don't have it, you can read it in your Bible. I think it's also in there. It should be. If not, get a new Bible. Chapter 2, verse 13 says, You who were once dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive, past tense, together with him. And here's where it says, Having forgiven all of our trespasses. By, verse 14, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's what I want you to say. At the cross, Jesus paid the price for all your separation, for all your, your sinful thinking and your sinful behavior. He paid the price of that debt you owe, and he paid it in full. Therefore, when you come before God, there's nothing there standing in the way of you and God. That, that is, it's been paid for. Okay? It's been paid for. You've been, you, you've, Christ has remedied it for you already. He paid for it. He nailed it to the cross. And you partake of that when you put your faith in Christ. And therefore, the, the separation has already been remedied. Go back to verse 22. What we read, 21 has already been done. You were once alienated, but God has reconciled you. Sinful in your thoughts, God's reconciled you. Christ has. Do anybody deeds, Christ has reconciled you. Verse, the second part of verse 22. In order to present you... In order to, now we go back to, 
in order to present you. Won't you see purpose in that? All right. So Jesus reconciled you already in order to. So this is talking about something that's going to happen in the future. Not in the past, but in the future. He has done something in the past so that he can do something in the future. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He reconciled your separation, sinful thinking, sinful deeds so that one day he can present you to himself as holy and blameless and above reproach. We're not there now. We're not there now. What does it mean to be holy? Holy is, sounds good. I, I used to think when I heard the word holy, I thought glowing. That's what I thought. If you were holy, you were glowing. And, and yet it says that I'm holy. And I mean, I do have some, you know, a personality glow to myself, right, Will? No, I, I, I don't glow. I don't have a halo. I mean, this, that stuff that now, if you look at my bald head on the screen, on the live feed, there's, there's a glow. There's a glow. It bothers me every time I watch the live feed. A glare. A glare. What? Well, you going to fix that. That's right. We got, we've got a cure for that, but that's not today. Um, so, so you don't glow. None of you glow. Some of you are nicer than others, but you don't glow. And so it's not about being glow. What holy means is different. When it boils down to it, it just means different, set apart, different than everybody else. Okay? The, the Jews were holy not because they were some great people, but because God had set them apart for, a, for his purposes. He was going to use them and their people to tell about him. They were different. They were set apart for him. And so for the Christian, that's what it means to be holy. You are set apart completely for Christ. You are different because you look like Christ. You talk like Christ. You act like Christ. You think like Christ. That's what is to make you and me different and holy. We have been set apart already, but our, our thinking, our behavior, all that should be like Christ. Holy. That's what Christ is going for. That's what he's aiming for in you and me. And I want to ask you, is that you? Can you say the words that come out of my mouth are the words of Christ? If, can you say that nothing comes out of my mouth, mouth that wouldn't come out of the mouth of Jesus? We're getting there. But we're not there yet. Holy, blameless. This word sometimes is translated unblemished. Unblemished is a word that's used in the Old Testament for sacrifices. You had to offer, certain times you had to offer unblemished sacrifice. Sometimes we, we hear spotless. The spotless lamb of God means he was unblemished. It is, if you look in Leviticus, which is a wonderful book of the Bible, right? Leviticus chapter 16, I believe it is. Is that right? Do we have that on the screen? 21, that's what I meant. Leviticus 21. Yeah. So, so this, is, this is talking about priests, Levites, that could not serve in the temple because they had blemishes. blemishes. They, were, they were not without blemish. No one who has a blemish shall draw near. Now, by the way, this does not mean these people went to hell. Okay. It said, nobody who is blind or lame. That does not mean all blind and lame people go to hell. This just means that these people were not fit for service in the temple because they had a characteristic or a defect that, that caused
cause them to not be able to serve. Okay? A defect. No one has a blemish shall draw near. A man blind or lame or one who has a mutilated face or a limb that's too long. Verse 19. Or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand. Verse 20. Or a hunchback or a dwarf or a man with a defect in his side or an itching disease or scabs or crushed testicles. How about that? It's rough. Now here's the deal. Many of us in here would not have been fit for service. And we're not going to talk about why. Because this is Old Testament. What I want you to see though, which what I want you to get, these are defects. These people have certain defects that kept them, hindered them from fulfilling their service to the Lord. Disqualified them, by the way. But it hindered them. So what is that for us in, in the New Testament? It's not those things. Jesus doesn't say you can't be a minister of the gospel if you don't have, if one of your legs is longer than the other one. Here, here's what it means in, in New Testament. Again, without defect, free of qualities or characteristics that are not fitting for one who belongs to Christ. Free from things that are not worthy of Christ. Is that you? Is there anything in your life that's not fitting for Christ? Not worthy of Him? Probably. I'm telling you, good news, this is future. But what I'm saying, this is where, where Jesus is heading. Above reproach, above reproach is um, a term that is used for somebody who is... Uh, um, above accusation, I, I put in there, free from any truthful accusation. Um, again, Jesus was accused. Paul was accused, but he was falsely accused. They were falsely accused. So you're going to be accused of things in your life. That's not what it's talking about. Above reproach means that you're not going to be accused of anything um, truthfully and it stick. Like any, any character... Uh, uh, um, not just flaw, but maybe a defect, but any behavior. Something that is going to be brought against you saying, I saw you do this. This guy did this, and therefore he's not worthy to stand and it not be true. Like nothing can be pointing the finger at you and say, this is about you, therefore you're not worthy. And, and if it's true, you are not above reproach. But if it's not true, you are above reproach. Now let me ask you, could I pick out, if I knew everything about you, could I pick out anything in your life and say, you're guilty of this? Jesus deserves better. Most likely I could. We all fall short, at least in one of those three areas, if not all three. Okay? But it's all future tense. No, this is the work that God is doing in you now. It's not the work that he's already done in you. There is a work that he's already done. What has he done? He's reconciled you, uh, your, your soul from God. He's reconciled your mind. He's reconciled your behavior. He has not yet reconciled, caused you to be completely holy, completely blameless, and completely above reproach. But he's working at it. That's what he wants to do in you. 
But how does he do it? Jesus wants to present him, you to himself as holy, blameless, and above reproach. We're not there yet. How do we get there? Good news. Paul tells us. Paul tells us how we can get to the point where we can stand before God, holy, blameless, and above reproach. And here's what he said. It's in verse 23. And it starts with the biggest two-letter word in the world, if. If. What does if mean? What does if imply? If implies it may not happen. Right? Like, if, if you use if, that implies there's some uncertainty as to whether or not it's going to happen. Or you wouldn't use if. If means it may not. So in other words, I want you to say, God, Jesus has done something for you that you couldn't do. So that he could do something later on. He did something in the past so that he could do something later on. But whether or not that happens still hangs in the balance of this word if and if what Paul says is going to happen. If. It's going to happen if, look what he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. I'm stop right there. If indeed you continue in the faith, steady, stable, whatever, stable and steadfast. Verse 23 is where the battle in your life is won or lost. The battlefield of your life is verse 23. I want you to get this. The battlefield of your, this is the battleground. If the battle is going to be won in your life, which means if what Jesus saved you for is ultimately going to take place. If we're going to make it there, verse 23 is where we're going to make it. It's how we're going to make it. I titled this message, This is How I Fight My Battles. I want you to get that the battleground of your life is a battleground of faith. It's a battleground of faith. What, what, what is faith in what? What does faith mean? What does it mean to be stable and, and steadfast in the faith? I want to go to something Jesus said in John chapter 14. You, most of you know this verse. John chapter 14 verse 6 where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And I think herein lies the heart of what it means to have faith. If you're going to win the battle of your life, this is where it's going to be won. And by the way, I'm calling this sanctifying faith. Saving faith. The people in Colossae already had saving faith. He was not trying to convince them to get saved. He was not trying to get them to believe in Jesus enough to get saved. He was trying to get them to believe in Jesus enough to be sanctified. This is what he's crying out. Sanctification. What does that mean? The root word is the same word as holy. Different. Set apart. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. This is what he's aiming for. <clears throat> so sanctifying faith, what does it look like? First of all, using John 14, 6, what Jesus said, 
This is a confession of somebody that has sanctifying faith. I believe that Jesus' way is always the best way. I believe Jesus' way is always the best way. Jesus' way is always the best way. There is never a circumstance in my life where what Jesus says to do is not the right way to handle a situation or a relationship or a problem. Never. Jesus didn't forget about that instance that you're in right now. The situation in your life right now where you go, I can't do that, Jesus. That wouldn't work in my situation. No, Jesus thought it through. (laughs) Jesus said it, in fact, because it's true. It's not true because Jesus said it, by the way. Jesus said it because it's true. Hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, would I have told you? (laughs) It's true, therefore I'm telling you the truth. Jesus' way is always the best way. He wouldn't have said it if it was not the best way. If there was a better way to handle your situation, Jesus would have said something else. Like if the right way for you to handle your situation with your family was gossip, he would have said, hey, the best way to handle your situation is gossip. Are you upset about something? Blab it to everybody. That's the right way to handle it. He didn't say that. Hey, if somebody does something against you, the best way to handle it, do something right back to them. Vent on Facebook. Uh, go, go share it with everybody. Go bad about it. Go to Google and give them a horrible review. That's the way you ought to handle stuff. When, when things don't go your way, you need to fight back against that person with all your mind. If that were true, Jesus would have said it. That's not what Jesus said because that's not true. Je- any situation you're in where you're trying to convince yourself that if Jesus knew your situation, he'd say something else, that ain't true. Jesus' way is up. Now, here's a, this, is a, this is a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith. Do you really believe that Jesus' way is always the best way? And that if you go a different route than Jesus, you're going a route that is less, that is worse. That the outcome is going to be worse. That you're causing damage instead of causing uh, uh, healing. You're losing the battle instead of winning the battle. Jesus' way is always the best way. Do you believe that? Even when your flesh disagrees with it. My flesh don't like a lot of stuff Jesus says. It just doesn't. But you know what? I believe Jesus is right. And I I believe my flesh is a liar because I spent a lot of years listening to it. Didn't work out well. Secondly, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth. I believe that Jesus' words are always truth. Fits right in with the first one, but that's it. I believe Jesus' words are always truth. If it were not true, he wouldn't have said it. How about this? Even if it hurts my feelings. Boy, we're big about feelings now. And I'm not for hurting people's feelings unnecessarily. But if the bridge is out, I don't mind telling you the bridge is out. Even if it hurts your feelings. Hey, it hurt my feelings when when, uh, Carragher Road Bridge went out. Hurt my feelings. I hated it. I was angry every time I left the house. Because it took me two minutes longer to get to church. (laughs) Who has time? Who has two minutes? You got to fix the bridge. Going to Fayetteville took me five extra minutes. Hurt my feelings. It was true. The bridge was out. I'm glad they put the sign up. I'm glad they put the sign up. Jesus' words are true even if it hurts your feelings. If it makes me feel uncomfortable, Jesus' words are true. Jesus had no problem making people uncomfortable with the truth. Because it was true. Hey, I'm the bread of life. You want to go find food somewhere else, you're going to starve to death because I'm the bread of life. There ain't nowhere else you're going to find it. Well, that is arrogant. 
How, how arrogant is this guy? If I'm going to eat your flesh, and what in the world are you? I'm going somewhere else. Well, you go to your own detriment. Jesus said, you want to go away too? Destruction's out there if you want it. But I'm sharing with you the words of life, which brings us to the third thing. Third thing, I believe following Jesus will always lead to life. Always. If I want my relationship with my wife to be better and to, to lead to life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow what Jesus said. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do what he said. I'm going to follow his ways, his thoughts, his motives. I'm going to do that in my marriage if I want a better marriage. If I want to be happily married, I'm going to be happily married by following Jesus. If I go away from what Jesus said and don't follow him, I'm bringing destruction, which is the last half. I wish I would have put this on that note. You can add it if you have a pen. I believe following Jesus will always lead to life, and not following Jesus will always lead to destruction. I could be the poster child for that. Like I could, My face could be on that poster, and I could testify. I could be on that infomercial. Not following Jesus always leads to destruction. You're always going to end up worse off if you don't follow Jesus. What I'm asking you now is do you believe those things? I'm not asking if you always do it right in those things. I'm asking you, do you believe those things? Jesus' way is always best, always. Jesus' words are always truth. And following Jesus will always lead to life. And not following Jesus will always lead to destruction. Do you believe that? What I'm sharing with you is the key to winning the battle. That's the key to winning the battle. That's the strategy for winning the battle. You're going to win the battle, it's going because you believe those three things. Jesus' way is best. Jesus is always truth. Following Jesus leads to life. That's it. I'm telling you something, and some of y'all going, you don't even know. This is too simple. Here's what the devil does, and we fall right into it. And I'm saying the devil, and I probably preached some of these things. So I was the, probably the voice of the devil at some point. I mean, I'm talking good, well-meaning Christians will tell you what I'm about to tell you, and it's the words of the devil. It's the tactic of the devil. What the devil wants to do is get you to fight your battles on the wrong battlefield. What I just showed you, those three things are the battlefield. That's where the battle is going to be won. What the devil does is say, you know, that's not what the, where the battle is going to be won. The battle is going to be won. Here's what you need to do. First of all, you need to recognize it's the voice of the enemy. When it, when it comes to being a Christian, you don't measure up. You don't measure up. You look at how Jesus lived and look at how you live. How in the world can you call yourself a Christian? Look at how many times you fail. Look at how far from Jesus you are. You call yourself a Christian. You need, you're going to have to work on a few things before you, before you get to the point where you can win. You're going to have to you gotta work. If you want to call yourself a Christian, you better work on these. You better change these things. You ought to try harder. His, the devil wants you to fight the battle on the, on the battleground of, of self-help, self-worth, self-improvement, performance. That, he wants to convince you that's where the battle is. You need to try harder. And I lived this for years and years where I come to the altar and I'm like, God, I've fallen short. I, want, I did it wrong. I'm going to do it better this time. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to stay up later. I'm going to read more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get myself better, I promise you. And then next week, God, I failed again. I'm going to try harder this week. I'm going to do it right this week. And then the next week, 
over. And my, my prayer life was awesome because I was always praying. But here it was the wrong battlefield. And I wasn't seeing victory. I was just there defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat. Because I was fighting the wrong battle on the wrong battleground. And if you fight the wrong battle on the wrong battleground, you'll never win the battle. If you try to work on your performance and your, your ability and your, uh, your trying harder, if you think that's going to be the, cu- the cure, the remedy for your separation from God and your sinful thinking and your sinful behavior, you're going to keep living a life of defeat. Because the key, we sang about it in that new song, Perfect Again, the key is to know God's already done that. Like here's the deal. You are not separated from God if you're a Christian. You're not separated from God if you're a Christian. You're not separated from, if you're a Christian, which means you have saving faith, doesn't mean you're uh, um, holy or, or, or unblemished or, or above reproach yet. If you've got saving faith, then God has done that for you. You Christ has already reconciled you. Therefore, he's right there. There's no separation. He's right there. You may feel separation. It's a mirage. It's a mirage. And if you try to fight that and get rid of that separation that, does, that isn't even there, you're going to wear yourself out. And we wear ourselves out trying to get rid of that separation between us and God that's not even there. And then we get stuck there and we never move on to where, where Christ says we need to get to and Paul says we need to get to because we're fighting a battle on a battleground that's a mirage. World War II, found out about this this morning, praise God. World War II, you ever heard of the ghost army? Raise your hand if you've heard of the ghost army. few of you have. Never had heard of that in my life. But I'm thinking about how the enemy diverts our attention to a battlefield that's not really a battlefield. World War II, there was a ghost army. Not paranormal activity, by the way. They didn't, you know, summon up the dead. What it was, it was 1,100 men who they used. In fact, they were based in, their barracks were in Fort, is it Fort Camp, Tennessee? Um... No, it wasn't Campbell. It was near Lewisburg, Tennessee. Hold on, let me see. I got it pulled up. That's, that's, it was so weird. I was like, well, are you for real? Camp Forest, Tennessee. Near, um, it's near Tullahoma. Those, oh, we're close enough to Tullahoma. We all know about this stuff. But this was, this was um, classified information up until 1996. But in World War II, they had a ghost army. This is the craziest thing. I, I had to check and see. I was reading at pearlharbor.org, which I thought was reputable. But I'm like, I don't know. That just sounds too crazy to be true. Come to find out it's absolutely true. Here's what they did. They got 1,100 people to make, or and they built, fake tanks with canvas that they painted that weighed a total of 75 pounds. Inflatables, inflatables, pool toys, <laughs> inflatables, things like you rent on your birthday and a kid's birthdays, bouncy house. They made a bunch of bouncy houses that looked like tanks. And they put them out there 
sometimes within 100 yards of, of the battle, like I'm talking D-Day battle, 100 yards and there's all these inflatable tanks. And they did a bunch of other stuff too where they'd set up people to distract the enemy and make them think the battle was over here so that they would, they would divert resources to that battle to fight against that when it was just a bunch of inflatables, a bunch of bouncy houses. And I, I read it this month, February 1st, President Biden signed um, uh, an act or whatever it is declaring that, they, that all of them had the Congressional Medal of Honor. February 1st of this year. I thought that was neat. How timely. I was just looking for a sermon illustration. <clears throat> and I'm like, how perfect. Here's what, the enemy, here's what the enemy does. Hey, look over here. Don't you feel separated from God? Oh, you're right, I do. I better go do something about that. What about those thoughts that are in your mind? Don't you think if you're a Christian, you wouldn't have those thoughts anymore? Yeah, you're right. What about that, that, those sins you're doing, those things you're doing? Don't you think if you were a Christian, you wouldn't do those things anymore? Yeah, you're right. Guilt, condemnation, separation, all those things Jesus has already paid for. He's already won that battle. You're fighting your battle on a battlefield that's already won and wearing yourself out and dying on the battlefield. Because you get worn out, there's no life in fighting that battle. When the battleground is the battleground of faith, that's the real battle. It's not a surprise. Have you read the New Testament? Romans, bless the Lord for Romans. Chapter 1. This is not in your notes or on the screen. So, Janita, I'll let you off on this one. <laughs> Romans 1.17 says, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You remember that? For in it a righteousness is revealed, right? The righteousness of God is revealed from what to what? I heard somebody say it. Romans 1.17 for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, or to faith. As it is written, catch this, the just shall live by faith. What I want you to see, you want to live, you're going to live by faith. What does it mean to have faith? Jesus' way is always the best way. Jesus' words are always true. Following Jesus will always lead to life. And following me or not following Jesus will always lead to destruction. That is the truth that if you will believe it, will change your separation from God. It will change your feeling of separation from God. It will change your thought life and it will change your behavior. I lived most of my life trying to win the battle of pornography and beat it by overcoming pornography. And the way I won the battle of pornography was believing that God's way was better than pornography. Spent most of my life bowing down before God, begging Him to change me, zap me, do whatever you got to do with, with me so that I can overcome this. And it didn't happen until I believed that God's way was better. And here's the thing, I want better. It's almost a selfish thing that caused me to overcome pornography. I wanted something better. Like I wanted life. I wanted truth. 
I wanted real happiness. I wanted fulfillment. That's what I wanted. So it's a good thing. It was not a, a sacrifice for me to do it, but it happened, and it would have never happened had I not believed those three things I just told you. And so fight the battle there. Now here's the deal. That is a battlefield. You're going to have to fight the battle to believe that. Because the battle, I remember in my own mind this war going on. And it was, but my flesh wants to do this. But God, I know you said this. Jesus, I know you said this. That was the battle. And it was real. I don't know what my heart rate was or my blood pressure. I can just tell you it was a battle. I can remember the feeling of it. And it's not just once, but it's happened more than once. But that's where the, and, the, and it's one when you go, oh, I feel this, but I believe you. Believe your way is best, therefore I'm going to follow your way. I believe what you said is true, so I'm going to trust your truth. I believe if I follow you, I'll lead to life, and I'm going to trust that you lead. I believe that if I follow my own way, I'm, it's going to lead to destruction, even though it's everything within me wants to go that way. I believe that it's going to lead to destruction, because you said it would, so I'm not going to go that way, because I believe the just shall live by faith. The victory is won when you choose, when you choose to believe that if takes place, if you believe or not. That's it. If you believe, if you choose to believe, you will be before Christ, stand before him. He will present you to himself holy and blameless and above reproach. That is the work he does in you when you believe. If you choose to have saving faith, but you don't get to sanctifying faith, I want to ask you to look up what the meaning of if is. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm going to ask you to ask yourself, why would he say if if there was no if? Don't come to me saying I'm preaching one thing. I want you to talk to Paul that says if. I didn't write if, by the way. I didn't think, okay, what word I could have put? I'm going to put if. But Paul said that. Scripture says it. So I'm going to close with this. Praise God for closing. Best words a preacher will ever say when you're not living by the Spirit. <laughs> I've been there. I remember. Whew, finally, if. I mean, if. Finally, he's closing. That's what I meant to say. Not finally, if. If he's closing. That's the question right there. If he's closing. We don't know. We don't know. Do you believe Jesus? You don't have to answer me. I want you to ask in your heart. Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus' way is always best? Do you believe that Jesus' words are always truth? Do you believe that following Jesus always leads to life and not following Jesus leads to destruction always? That's what sanctifying faith looks like. In Ephesians chapter 6, I'm not going to read it. It's in, your, it's in your bulletin. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 talks about the armor of God. You ever heard of the armor of God? Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes of peace, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, right? Okay. If you don't, it's in your bulletin. You can read it. It's in your Bible, Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Whose armor is it? It's not your armor, by the way. It's God's armor. What part do you play in it? Hmm? What, what, what do we do? Well, put it on and 
What do you do? You do have to do something. There is a verb that you have to do. There is some stuff that God does. Not fight. Not fight. Good, good thought. Fight. You think, I got a sword? Yeah, I must need to fight, right? That's what you think. I got a shield and a sword. I need to fight. But that's not what it says. What is it? Stand. What about when you've done everything and, you're, and it doesn't seem like it's working? When you've done everything, you see what I'm saying? Faith. That's it. Stable, steady, steadfast. I'm going to believe. You've got this. You put on the shield of faith. You, it's there. The shield of faith extinguishes the fiery darts of the enemy. The shield of faith. Not you. You don't. Like a lightsaber. You don't do that with the cuckoo. You don't do that. In my mind, that's Star Wars. But you know how when they're shooting at them, they defend it with the, with the lightsaber. That's not what you do with the, the armor of God. You put it on, and once you get it on, you stand. You stand. The battle is won when you stand on faith in what God has already given you. You can't win the battle fighting. You can win the battle believing. And, and that's the fight. Believing is the fight. Believing. He's worthy. He's trustworthy. Look back at those verses before in chapter 1. He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. Let's pray. Mm. Father, help us to have faith. Help us to believe. I thank you for your patience. I thank you for shining light on how we've lived wrong, gone about things the wrong way, revealing that to us, and then revealing truth. And God, we so need truth. And you've revealed truth today, and I pray that we would hear it and understand it and live by it, that we really would believe you, that really we really would believe Jesus, that we would really um, live by faith and know that we live by faith and that, that the gospel tells us to live. It's from faith to faith. That's It's... it's Believing in the beginning and believing in the middle and believing in the end. You've said it over and over again. Let it click in our minds, in our hearts. And when we have the opportunity to choose otherwise, let faith rise up. Let the truth of Jesus rise up. Let Jesus' way and example rise up. Let Jesus, what he's already done, give us hope that we can believe and that we can just stand in what you've already given us and win the battle. Father, I pray for those who are weary from fighting and losing that you would give them the mercy to take a breath and to trust. That you would give them the strength to take a breath and just believe, to let their, let their gloves down and just breathe you and stand in your armor and let you win, that, they would, that we would believe. And, Father, I ask that in Jesus' name. And if you would just say, if, that's, if you believe that, just say, hey, that's me and I believe that. That's me and I believe that. That's me and I believe that. Let it be in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.